0: Good to see a few more of you. Just a minute ago, I was up here, and for those that just came in, I want to remind you that we're in the midst of our evangelistic seminar. So we would love to invite you all out to join us at that, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. It's still, a good time to bring a guest tonight and tomorrow night and the night beyond. So we'd be happy to have you with that. And I thank the volunteers, but I, the, the the most important volunteer, or at least closest to my heart. Christina wasn't in here yet, so I thank her because it's I think it's a challenge to be a pastor's wife on a semi-regular basis, but it is especially hard in the midst of evangelism. So uh, she is basically a single parent during all of the last several weeks as we've been getting ready for this and in the time, and so I'm grateful to her. And uh, she is obviously the more gifted parent because I... Uh, helped address my children this morning and I noticed that there are some changes to that attire <laughs> and uh, and it, and I have to say that the changes are definitely much improved from what I did <laughs> so I thought they looked pretty good and I'm so my 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 dear wife when the boys came in I said go you know go present yourself to your mom make sure you're okay and she said oh you look wonderful and she said thank you dear for helping them to get ready And then I leave the house and she changes it. So she at least didn't crush me in the moment or make me do anything else. So I appreciate that, beautiful. Couple things I wanna say this morning about today's message. First off, if it sounds smarter than I normally sound, that's probably because it is. I am actually preaching Dr. Eckhart Mueller's sermon today. He was supposed to preach today, um, but he was called out of the country For a theological reason and he's going to drop by uh the philippines i love how he can just drop by the philippines to see his new grandbaby so uh so he is not here and he asked me can you can you cover or can can you know i apologize very you know he's very apologetic three times he contacted are you sure it's okay yes and uh he said i already wrote the sermon uh, so I said, well, can I have it then? And he said, yes, you can have it. So I want to give credit to him so that you won't think that I am as astute as one of the brightest theological minds in our church and, uh, misrepresent myself. And I also want to say that because I want to apologize because if I'm looking down and not making as good of eye contact as I'd like to, it's because I'm reading somewhat as this is not my, uh, material, but Dr. Mueller's. So just so you know that. With that said, let's bow our heads one more time. Jesus, I ask your blessing upon what Dr. Mueller has prepared and as I share it with this church family. We thank you so much for your blessing of the minds that you've given to our church. And we thank you for the sermon that you laid upon his heart. And now I have the privilege of presenting before these people. In your name we pray. Amen. And I will use all his pronouns and everything. So when I say I, if I tell a story about a 20 something or 30 something year old son, or suddenly I use the word Jerry as my wife and I forget to correct it, don't worry. <laughs> don't panic. And if anyone comes in later and you see them turn red, if I say Jerry, okay, I'm just, it's not going to happen, but I'm just saying, just being mindful of that. Some time ago, I found in the calendar the following statement. Duty without love makes gruff. Responsibility without love makes ruthless. Justice without love makes rigorous. Friendliness without love makes hypocritical. Intelligence without love makes cruel. Order without love makes nitpicking. Honor without love makes arrogant. Material possessions without love makes stingy. And faith without love makes fanatical. Faith without love makes fanatical. All we have to do is take a look at the world around us right now, and we can see all kinds of fanatical things being done in the name of faith. People are persecuted and abused and even killed if they do not hold the exact same positions as the group of faith. Today, I want to meditate with you on what it is all about to be a follower of Jesus. Scripture contains various statements on on discipleship that define what it means to follow Jesus. Some describe how disciples live and what they do. Others describe the ideal character of disciples and their motivation. And I want us to read from uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And Pastor Tim, can you hand me my Bible? I realize I left it right there next to you. Thank you. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, once again, what Pastor Tim just read. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all who burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him more questions. This report in Mark's gospel is open-ended. Did the scribe find access to the kingdom of God or did he miss his chance to follow Jesus and be saved it's open-ended we don't know and this may not be the most important point either the real question is how we relate to God the real question in this in this passage is not what happened with the man but how we relate to God Jesus had just entered Jerusalem triumphantly triumphantly Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 Many people had treated him like a king when the, when the process of, of, of assessing his throne, as if in the process of assessing his throne. Jesus allowed for the people's joy and adoration at that time. This time, he permitted them to celebrate him as king. After the triumphal entry, it was time for Jesus to make his way directly to the temple. Why did he do this? Davidic kings were responsible for the sanctuary. Jesus accepted this responsibility and thereby showed that he was indeed the legitimate king of the Jews. When he came close to the temple, he noticed the hustle and bustle, the shouts and sharp bargaining of the merchants that used the holy place to make money and exploit the pilgrims. Unbelievable scenes to the mind of Jesus. The prospect of making money led these people to lose whatever sense of reverence, awe, And respect they had for the place of god where god wanted to meet with his people this is the danger of riches the addition of money that blends out everything else so jesus had to intervene he drove out the buyers and the sellers from the temple and did not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple then he spoke is it not written My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Mark chapter 11 and verse 17. We heard Elder Bill Knott preach on this last week. This bold action through which Jesus defended God and his cause led to a clash with the ruling class. The chief priests, scribes, and elders questioned his authority, rejecting him as the rightful king. Jesus described their dangerous behavior with the parable of the vine growers, Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and warned them that in the case of killing the son of the vineyard, in the, ca- in the case of killing the son of the vineyard, would be taken from them and given to others. Instead of changing their attitude, the Jewish leaders tried to seize Jesus, but could not do it because he still had too much support from the people. First, The Pharisees and the Herodians tried to catch him in his words when they asked him about paying taxes to Caesar, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Then the Sadducees ridiculed the resurrection of the dead and tested Jesus on where he stood regarding this issue, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Finally, a scribe, probably sent by his colleagues, and yet an honest man asked him about the law. This was the most crucial question and the most important issue in this set of 3. The temple, the election as the people of God, and the law formed the foundation of Jewish faith. Jesus had questioned the leaders' attitude to the temple, regarding their election as people, regarding their election as people of God. He had warned them that they might lose it. On the resurrection, he had shown them their ignorance of the Torah how would he now relate to this crucial aspect of the law our passage consists of a dialogue in which both jesus and the scribe talk twice the question of the scribe about the most important commandment jesus answered with two old testament quotations deuteronomy 6 chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 and leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 i recommend this is not Dr. Mueller, this is me. I recommend all parents read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Some good counsel in there. The quotations start with a statement of faith: God is one, then follows the command to love God with all the heart. Finally, there is the command to love the neighbor as oneself. After the scribe had agreed with Jesus' statement and had repeated it, Jesus took the initiative in the conversation. Although he was tested by his adversaries, he showed that in reality, they were the ones being tested. By stating, you are not far from the kingdom of God, it became evident who evaluated whom and who has the authority to do this. No wonder that subsequently no one dared to ask Jesus any additional questions. You cannot play with Jesus, God, or his word. He showed them this which is the most important commandment the scribes have found the scribes have found 613 individual commandments in the old testament 365 of them were negatives you shall not in the negative the other 248 were considered to be stated in the positive furthermore they subdivided the law in heavy and light commandments That is, important ones and less important ones. Heavy and light commandments. Important ones and less important ones. Rabbi Hillel had been confronted with a question similar to the one posed to Jesus. A Gentile had asked him to summarize the law while he would be standing on one leg only. Seems like a weird request. Again, me, not Dr. Mueller since most people can stand on one leg only for a short while, the answer had to be very brief. Rabbi Hillel gave a good answer saying, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, while the rest is the commentary thereof. But Jesus went farther than Hillel, which is the most important law, the question was asked. This is a crucial question. Behind the question may be hiding another question, what do I need to do to be saved? They were legalists, so really that is what they were asking. If I know the law that I have to keep, then I will do it. Jesus responds, hear, O Israel, the Lord it, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, stre- all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. A remarkable answer. Almost literally, the scribe now repeats Jesus' words. One gets the impression that he evaluates Jesus' response by moving from phrase to phrase, coming to the conclusion that this is a good answer. This is a true answer. This is a scriptural answer. We talk about the law, we talk about loving God. The highest commandment, Jesus taught, is to love God. What does it mean, though, to love God? Some time ago, I called a good friend of mine with whom I had worked together in the church many years ago. As a committed Adventist, he had served the church and shared the gospel with many others. Now his marriage had fallen apart. He had gotten involved with, with more than one other woman. His lifestyle had changed radically. He had left the church. When I called him from a public phone during a very short visit in my home country, he explained to me that in spite of what had happened and in spite of his distance to the church, his relationship with God was still absolutely fine. Unfortunately, this is not an exceptional case. Many people live, however they want to, and still claim to have this great relationship with God. They manufacture for themselves a kind of God that fits their own desires, that fits their own wanderings, that fits their own wrong decisions, and they call this loving God. But if it is it loving God? Jesus' response does not directly begin with the call to love God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter six. Verses 4 and 5, which many of you know is the Shema. Uh, again, not, oh, no, it is here. This is text is one of the most important ones for Jews, the so-called Shema. Together with some other statements, it formed a kind of confession of faith throughout the long Jewish history. It stresses that Jews believe in one true God only, in opposition to the God of the nations. These words were recited during the morning and evening prayers and have remained a regular part of the synagogue service even to this day for the Jews. Why does Jesus quote the Shema? In Deuteronomy the Shema is embedded in the narrative law of in the narrative of how God led Israel out of Egypt and gave the 10 commandments. In this narrative God's covenant, faithfulness and love towards Israel is repeatedly emphasized. For instance, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 7 and 8, English Standard Version. In other words, the Shema is associated with God's love and redemption. The one God is a God of love. Before we are asked to love God and our neighbor, we are assured that God loves us and has done everything to save us. It is not because we have deserved it that he loves us. It is because he has decided, he has chosen to love us. And he has decided to love us because love is his nature and love is his character. God is unique. He is the only God and he is one. There is no pantheon of gods. Christ and his followers agree with this statement. Christians believe in the one and only true God. Although they accept the divinity of Jesus, their faith in God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, as one God, does not contradict the testimony of the Old Testament. On the, old, on the contrary, the Old Testament indicates that there are multiple persons in the one God. The divinity of Jesus is affirmed in the gospel of Mark. Jesus is the son of God. Mark 1, 1. Mark chapter 3 and verse 11. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39. The holy one of God. Mark chapter 1 and verse 24. The son of the most high. Mark chapter 5 and verse 7. Who sits on the right hand of God. Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. And who has the power to forgive sins. A privilege and power that only God has. Mark chapter 2. And verse 7, interestingly enough, Jesus bases his call to love God on the unity of God and he may include himself in the Godhead even if it is unnoticeable to the scribe. Because the divine love flows within the Trinity and because God is one in three persons, our love toward him must be undivided. The commandment to love God plays a central role In the book of Deuteronomy it appears in different places and and in different forms because God loves love God's love became manifest in the election of his people and in Israel's deliverance from the Egyptian slavery Israel gladly loves God because God loved us first and saved us through Jesus Christ we love him he cares for us today and provides a wonderful future for us so our motivation for loving God comes from his initiative to love us He was the first to love. We are invited to respond to this love with our own love. The scribe may now also love God, not in order to be saved, but as a response to salvation provided by God. Loving God because he first loved us. How? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, says the text in Deuteronomy. Jesus adds a fourth element to the Shema, namely, with all your mind. Someone wrote that thereby Jesus creates a super totality. This fourfold enumeration tells us how to love God, namely, completely and totally with every aspect of our being. God has given himself completely to his people and to humanity. He's given all of himself to us. Therefore, he expects his people to give themselves totally in love to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart is the seat of spiritual life, the seat of intelligence, and the inner being, including the will. Martin Luther said, I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all the Cardinals when he was under persecution. Therefore, we must set our heart on loving God. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. The Greek and Hebrew terms for soul or life, they can also include emotions. So love the Lord your God with all your emotions. The Jewish theologian Moshe Weinberg uh, explains that the phrase with all your soul means to be willing to die for another person. And that it was and that it was so understood in Judaism that when Jesus said, or when it was said to love God with all your soul was understood that you would be willing to die for him. The call of the Shema to love God with all your soul led actually to a Jewish martyr tradition. Jewish di- Jewish Jews who died as martyrs oftentimes died with the Shema on their lips. This tradition is reflected in the experience of the rabbi Akiba who was tortured by d- to death by the Romans while praying the Shema. He welcomed death as the opportunity to fulfill the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your life. And he saw this as an opportunity. Love the Lord your God with all your strength refor- refers to moral strength, the ability to act energetically and to overcome hindrances. Some interpreters have, in, have, have suggested that strength includes our financial means as well. Loving God would then mean to serve him actively, And to place our means at his disposal. We serve him with our life. We serve him with our finances as well. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Mind refers to the understanding and intelligence. It may emphasize the intellectual faculty as a key element in God's service. God does not only need to be experienced emotionally inside of our hearts. He must also be understood intellectually as far as that is possible to our finite human minds. The tiny word, all, is repeated four times in this statement. We are called to love God with complete devotion. That little word is key, all. Placing our whole personality in the service of God, which is a matter of will and action. Emotions are not excluded but they are part of the whole picture. We love God with our entire life, our entire life. To love God is central to Christianity. As important as biblical teachings are, it is not sufficient to accept biblical doctrines. We must love the Lord. As important as emotions can be, loving God is more than just feeling good. We must love the Lord. It is easier to affirm biblical teachings than to love the Lord. It is easier to fall into a trance or to act excited and crazy than to live a consistent Christian life as a response to God's love. Some seem to have forgotten that. They have made Christianity to be a religion of the mind in which there is no place for warmth and affection. Others have forgotten it in that they are driven by emotions only. And, and Christianity is only an emotional experience that happens on occasion. We must love the Lord our God with our entire being at all times. What else does it mean to love God completely? First, to love God means to obey him and thereby to honor and glorify him. Deuteronomy 6 follows the repetition of the Ten Commandments. Repeatedly, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To love God means to pledge allegiance to him, which surpasses all loyalty to earthly institutions and powers. To love God means to keep his commandments. Commandments. Keeping the commandments may seem easy at first glance, but what about the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus explains the law and sets the highest possible standards for us as believers? What about Paul's statement in Colossians chapter 3? Put to death, Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Which is idolatry. But now, Paul says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Paul also says in that text, do not lie to one another. During World War II, an officer of the Allied forces gave the order to sweep across the field and kill all the German soldiers still entrenched in the snow. I want no prisoners, he said. One of the soldiers reports what happened next. As I walked, I immediately shot and killed two wounded and suffering soldiers. Then suddenly I approached a tall young guy. He was leaning against a tree. He wasn't wounded, but he was simply exhausted. When I noticed a little black Bible in his shirt pocket, we started to talk about Jesus and salvation. He was a born again Christian who deeply loved the Lord. I gave him water from my canteen. I even gave him some crackers. Then we prayed and read God's word together. We wept together as well. He showed me a black and white picture of his wife and daughter. I had just graduated from a Christian college in Illinois and hadn't had time to sort out my thoughts on the war. Maybe that's why I did what I did. I bid my German brother farewell, took several steps away, then returned to the soldier. Romans 13, the thou shalt not kill commandment, the promise of eternal life, the prince of peace, the irrationality of war, all of these things swirled around in my mind. When the ger- German soldier saw me returning, he bowed his head and closed his eyes in that classic prayer posture. Then it happened. I said three crisp sentences that I still repeat once or twice a week when I have nightmares about the war. You're a Christian, I am too, see you later. In less than a second, I transformed that defenseless Christian soldier into a corpse. Loving God, loving God, is this loving God, question mark? On the other hand, I have met some of God's children People who became Adventists against the will of their spouses and have had to face many difficulties for Christ's sake. I have met Adventists who are willing to give up their jobs and suffer substantial financial loss for Christ's sake. I have met Adventists who are threatened to be killed and who suffered physical violence for Christ's sake. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to rediscover obedience because to love you means to obey you no matter what over all other authorities. Help us to see obedience as a chance and not as a burden. Rekindle our first love so that we may again be in love with you and gladly do what you want us to do. Second, to love God means to accept him as the only Lord and master and to remove, overthrow whatever could be rival to him. Money, reputation, pleasure, our own interests, what is evil, And even the things that may be good, to make sure that they do not take precedence over the Lord. When the scribe in his own words repeated Jesus' statement, he made an interesting addition which showed Jesus that he had understood him and agreed with him. Probably it was this addition that caused Jesus to exclaim, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe said that to love God and the neighbor is more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. He did not deny the validity of the commandments, but he said that love is more than formalistic and superficial obedience. Although love means obedience, obedience is not necessarily a sign of love, Hosea 6.6. 6. Love is much more. Therefore, to love God includes loving him as a person, loving him for who he is and how he is, independent, independent of benefits that we may receive. To love God means to imitate his character. To love means to accept good and bad from his hand. To cling to him when we are blessed and when we are suffering and desperate like Job. To love means trusting him and trying to understand more fully and ever more and ever deeper getting acquainted with him. To love him means to love his appearance. It is not love if I tell my wife, remember Eckhart talking about his wife, Although it's not love, if I tell my wife this too, it is not love if I tell my wife what I do not need to know about her, that I do not need to know any more about her about our joys and for our frustrations, about our ideas, thoughts, plans, and dreams. Sometimes we Christians think we know enough about God. We believe that we have discovered the truth, and therefore we do not need to discover anymore. There are always facets of God that we need to understand better. There are always aspects of God's plan of salvation which are open to deeper study and better comprehension. Those who love God will listen to him and his Word. They will read it, and they will study it, and they will put it to practice. They want to deepen their relationship with God. We can never stop learning of God. A great preacher, when he was too old to preach a sermon, would nevertheless rise every morning to prepare a sermon, even though he never actually preached them. He did so until the day he died. Why? Because he was convinced that the study of God's word was essential to stay in contact with the Lord. Lord, help us to love you as the one and only true God, to overthrow all idols, our emotions which mess us up, our intelligence which questions you, the sin which we love to commit. Keep us from falling prey to sluggishness and false contentment, emotionalism and lukewarmness. Help us to say no, to whatever hinders us to know and follow you better. That thank you that you love us. Help us to love you more. Third, to love God is not possible without also loving our neighbor. In his answer to the scribe's question, Jesus placed loving God and loving the neighbor next to each other. This tells us that love towards God is made manifest in neighborly Love, According to 1 John, we cannot love God without loving our neighbor. In the context of Deuteronomy, this commandment is primarily directed to fellow Israelites. In the New Testament, it is extended to everyone. But loving the neighbor only is not sufficient either. Although we meet Jesus in the least of his brothers, these brothers are not God. Loving them without loving God himself is not a fulfillment of the most important commandment. My side note, I like that point, there are many in the world that say, as long as I'm good to my brother, I'm good to go. We must love both the almighty God and out of that love, then love his children, our spouses, our children, our parents, and even our in-laws. I love my in-laws. I don't know if this is a burden for Dr. Mueller or not. We must also love the black and the white, men and women, rich and poor. We must love the educated and the uneducated, the Christians and the non-Christians, fellow citizens and foreigners, friends, and yes, we must love even enemies. Unfortunately, the books of history are full of reports about what so-called representatives, representatives of the truth have done to those who did not always and in all matters agree with them. Christians have persecuted and killed other Christians as well as non-Christians. The same is true for representatives of other world religions. Violence is still considered a means to solve conflict. No wonder that people mistakenly feel that doctrines divide while love unites. Hear that. Mistakenly feel that doctrines divide while love unites. Peter Miller. Peter Miller Peter Miller, a Baptist during the American Revolution, lived in Ephrata, uh, Pennsylvania, and enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrata also lived Michael Whitman, an evil minded man who did all he could to oppose and humiliate this pastor, this Baptist minister. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor no Peter General Washington said I cannot grant you the life of your friend my friend exclaimed the old preacher he's the bitterest enemy that I have what cried Washington you've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy that puts the matter in a different light and I will grant you this pardon and he did Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but now a friend. Loving the neighbor is not done by speaking kind words only, kind, by speaking kind words only. It includes refraining from indifference, abstaining from violence in any form. It includes service. We may need to get our hands dirty. We may have to let go of our comfort and may have to give up our plans. We may have to serve in the church or in our neighborhood. To love our neighbor may be costly to us both emotionally, physically, time, and financially. But Jesus paid a price, the highest price possible, because he loved us. Lord, your message is marvelous. Your teachings are a treasure and enrich our life. But please keep us from being people who know much more much and are advocates of orthodoxy, but are not recognizable as your children in everyday life. Lord, help us not to be pious ones who crucify you anew, even through our good deeds. To love you is more than formalism, to love you means to love others. Give us kindness and friendliness, meekness and yet enthusiasm. Help us to serve others. And live a life of blessing to the world. We summarize. God loved us first. We respond to this wonderful love in being. To love God means to be obedient. To do loving deeds and to speak cheerful words. To love God means to accept God as the one and only Lord. And live in an ever-growing fellowship with Him. To love God means to love brother and and sister, neighbor, and enemy, and not only to love them, but to serve them as well. In love with God, that is what Christianity is all about, nothing less. So the question for us is do you love God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The story about the scribe, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The story about the scribe remained open-ended. He is the only scribe in the Gospel of Mark who is mentioned, the only scribe in the Gospel of Mark who is mentioned in a positive way. Love and obedience to God and unselfish regard for man appeared to him of more value than all of these rights. Desire of Ages, page 608. According to Jesus, he was not far from the kingdom of God. The story of our life is also open. How will it later be summarized? I pray that even today it may be said about all of us. They love the Lord their God with all their soul, with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Amen, let us pray. Jesus, may that be true, may that be said of us. We thank you for these words that you have placed on Dr. Mueller's heart. We thank you for the blessing of your love. Lord, help us to love you and to love others because you first loved us. In your name we pray, amen.